0: Hi everyone, welcome to D4 Data Channel podcast on the topic Federated Learning. With me we have Miss Maria Bonner. Miss Maria's expertise includes academic physics, data science and artificial intelligence and she is currently working as a program manager in ADAP and leading efforts for an open source framework called Flower, which is a federated learning platform. I would like to welcome you to this show, Miss Maria, and thank you for accepting my invite. Thank
1: you.
0: I would like to give a very quick introduction to the audience about this federated learning topic because it's lit, it is it is a pretty new actually for some crowd so federated learning is a method of collaboratively learning from a shared prediction model keeping the training data on the device and this is uh, pretty different from the traditional way of uh, machine learning where the data is stored or sits in a cloud or a shared uh, repository so we we'll, we we'll would be deep diving into this topic in the today's podcast, and uh, I have uh, the questions lined up for Ms. Maria today. So, so what are the concerns and issues with the centralized approach of machine learning?
1: So, yeah, we have uh, many experience with AI projects, and normally what's the big blogger is sharing data, putting data somewhere in the cloud, because you have regulations you have to take care of. So, which kind of cloud you're using, where the cloud um, is located, is it in in, in China, is it, uh, for example, in Germany or France, whatever. So, there are many regulations you have to take care of. And, of course, there's another issue of data privacy, You do not want to share your data or information, Um, especially in the health industry, the data um, is not allowed to be shared with other institutes, even though it is used for researchers, Um, but it's still um, data privacy and uh, needs to be kept in, in the location where the data was taken. And of course, you can imagine that um, as soon if you have like a centralized setup, so imagine that you place all your data into the cloud and in the cloud, you're creating an AI training, you can imagine that you need a big data infrastructure in order to create a very good AI um, model at the end. Because the more data or the, the better the data, the better the AI system at the end. And um, in order to build up everything, Uh, You need this big data infrastructure, which is quite um, time-consuming to build and also expensive in in building up everything, but also maintaining and um, developing everything. And also every minute of running within the cloud takes a lot of money. So you should always think about these facts before you set up your uh, centralized learning, machine learning model. So these are all like uh, limits. And as well, not forget about if you want to process, for example, video information. So if you think of um, processing um, images or uh, video images, you need to um, upload a whole video, which takes uh, quite a long time and requires a big bandwidth. So this could also be an issue with um, centralized machine learning um, programs or projects um, that you have to face within the project. So these are all um, some difficulties when you set up um, centralized machine learning models.
0: Okay, okay, got it. So, over to the next question. So, what is the history behind federated learning and how it's been introduced as a practical version?
1: So, the history behind is that in 2017 there was um, a very great article from Google um, who implemented or used um, federated learning in the Gboard um, on your smartphone So the idea was that as soon as you have um, your whatsapp or whatever So you always want to uh, type some text and um, it is using Gboard you get a next word prediction And however, you do not want to share this data with the cloud or to someone else because uh, because of when you're sharing this kind of information you may want to put information as your credit account or whatever you kind of information you're sharing within this um, chat. So this is information that is very sensitive, and uh, so it is under uh, data privacy. So the idea of Google was to train the AI model on the smartphones, and because the the smartphones have the right performance to already um, create like an AI training, and then only the AI parameters are um, transformed to a server, to a Google server, and um, as well as from other smartphones, all of these AI models are collected and aggregated. So, and this global AI model that you are creating during this process, you can send back to every single smartphone again. So the next word prediction becomes better and better the more people are using this keyboard. So this was the idea um, behind and yeah so this is how it was um, included or implemented and it was um, more or less google who came up with this idea and i think it's a very good idea because um you're sharing the knowledge between different smartphones but you're not sharing um the data within these smartphones
0: so uh, over to the next question uh, so will the over personalization and bias of individual distributed system affects the overall uh, model in this uh, in this mechanism
1: yeah it affects of course the the global or overall model um, but it depends on how you define uh, this effect Um, you can imagine that the more um, clients you connect to this kind of systems the more different um, local um, ai systems you have the less bias you have because of course, it is, um, the, the data on every client becomes more, um, diverse. So you're collecting more or less more diverse information on knowledge. So the, um, the effect of bias to the overall, um, model is reduced quite a lot because, uh, yeah, this is the idea is, uh, to, to be, um, to have a more variance AI system by connecting different uh, types of, um, information. And of course you could also have like um client drift so client drift for example is also the way of uh, when one client drifts away from the global model this information and you can also imagine that you can overcome with different strategies about this for example um if you have um you have like a certain strategy called Fed Prox, which is a certain strategy that Every single um, client where you use um, a training, a local AI training, um, the update of these parameters, of the AI parameters, are limited within these um, strategies, so that uh, the outcome is that every client cannot move far away with their um, AI information. So this is a certain um, strategy to overcome client with, for example. There are also other um, strategies available, also within our Flower um, framework, that you can add and get, that you can imagine. So um, different strategies um, are foreseen to to solve different problems, um, also to, to reduce bias, to reduce client drift, to reduce feature shift, and all these things. And um, if you have a look to our uh, Flower framework, you can see or observe what kind of uh, what is the state of the art research in this field and what is the best solution in this field. However, you should always keep in mind that these are most um, research topics and federated learning isn't that often used in, in practical projects. So um, in this sense, we are at the very beginning of, of um, finding out what is what are the best strategies to solve these kind of effects to solve bias to solve client and and all these
0: things okay okay got it so yeah so uh, oftentimes we hear we hear about this particular topic on edge computing so what is the main difference between edge computing and federated learning
1: so with edge computing um i mean in federated learning we have not really only edge devices, let's say, yeah, we have um, more or less different types of clients. These clients can be, for example, Raspberry Pis, smartphone, cars, um, server, local server or whatever. And um, so the, in, in federated learning, you have all these clients um, in a lower space and you have them connected to one server that you normally do not have in an edge computing. You're computing everything on the edge and it stays there. So in federated learning, what we are doing is you have your local training, you train based on the local data, you, base, uh, you train your AI model. These AI models from all the devices are set to the server and all the, um, and the server aggregates all of these AI models and you create a global model that you send back again to all the clients and updates um, the information or the AI model. So you have always an improvement while you're running the whole federated learning system. You're always having an improvement of your local and your global model. And if you have like a new client into this um, network system, you can even improve um, your whole global model by having this new client added to the system. And this is more or less the difference. So you have a continuously improvement of your um, AI network system, let's say. And um yeah, so this is more or less the difference.
0: Okay, okay. So um yeah, so over to the data privacy part, like how good the federated learning help in protecting the data privacy?
1: Um yeah, this is um quite a good question because um what you do not want to share in data privacy is you do not want to share your information or your data, you do not want to share an image of your face, for example. So what you're doing at the end in in federated learning is you're training the AI model and you're only uh, transferring the AI parameters. For example, in a deep neural network, you're transferring only the weights and bias. So based on these weights and bias, you're not really um, sharing information of your um, image, of your um, private information at all. You're just sharing these parameters with, uh, with the global server. Um, of course, there was also some research done that based on these uh, parameters, you can reconstruct faces, for example. If you have one client where you train the image of one face or one person, you could um, reconstruct this kind of um, information, what how the um, person looks like. Um, however, um, in federated learning, you have different techniques to, to overcome these effects, for example, secure aggregation or differential privacy that you can add. So, for example, with secure aggregation, you have your local uh, client again, and um, you have your um, trained AI model, and you are masking it. And by combining two different um, AI models with their mask, you are filtering out the mask, and you only receive at the end the aggregated um, AI model. So at the end, due to this mask on each local client, you can, you cannot reconstruct the information, the data information that was uh, trained on the AI system. So that's quite good. And um, you, you have more security. However, every more security always comes with the risk or more cost. So you need a higher performance of your uh, client, of your uh, computer client, for example. Um, so and it takes longer um, for example, to transmit and, uh, the information because it is just more processing time, everything yeah. So you should always think about what are the outcome and what kind of security I need, what is really sufficient, and um, is the cost worth it to use this kind of um, security? Um, especially in the health industry, it is always worse because the data is quite sensitive, and you always want to have the highest uh, security standards. Um, and so there, um, you always use um, strategies like um, differential privacy, for example, or um, secure aggregation. In addition, but um, always keep in mind um, these uh, strategies or these um, privacy always comes with a cost.
0: Understood. Understood. So. Uh, yeah, so can federated learning reduce the carbon footprint of uh, machine learning training? Yes.
1: So together with the um, Cambridge University, we had some research done um, with FLOWER and they, um, they observed or they checked the um, carbon footprint of centralized AI training as well as for uh, federated learning systems. And which was why very surprisingly is that with flowers the um, carbon footprint was reduced in comparison to the um, centralized training. The reason here is that um, in the setup they used like a, a smartphone, um, a thing it's like smartphones connecting, and of course these smartphones are not directly cooled down to to run an AI training, so they are cooled down by the air around, and if you compare it to the centralized setup. Then you can imagine that for uh, cooling down all the cloud infrastructures and then in, in, in the um, in the industry, uh, it takes a lot of effort. They are putting these uh, cloud infrastructures in on cold places in order not to cool, not to need so much electricity to cool down the devices, but it is still required. So and this takes a lot of energy, and you also have to think about what kind of energy every country is using where the cloud infrastructure is located. Um, So um, this is more or less the reason why um, federated learning can reduce the carbon footprint. But you also have to keep in mind that if you're running or you have a system where the data is located in different cloud infrastructures and um, you're training there, you're performing a training there, and at the end you're having somewhere else a local, um, a global uh, server where you collect all the information, you would not have that improvement of of, uh, of a carbon footprint um, reduction because uh, you also have an active cooling in, in this cloud infrastructure on the separate clients. Yeah, you should always think about the use case, and if you have a client that um, has indirect cooling like smartphones or laptop or whatever, then it can um, reduce the carbon footprint in the sense.
0: Okay. Okay. I would say that's a very big advantage, actually, because nowadays, like it is, it is having like a lot of importance for measuring the carbon footprint of each AI models. And like, we know like how big a threat is uh, for the entire space where like we are training lots of transform models and all the other mega models where it emits a lot of carbon soil training and not even training like in the inference time as well. So it's, it's a good point to actually note on the federated learning on this aspect, actually. So yeah. over to the next point. So like talking about the use cases of federated learning, uh, like, do you have a very important use case to actually share in this space?
1: Yeah, there are so many, um, use cases. Um, um, of course, I think the, the most important ones, um, and the most active ones we are working on right now is more or less the health, um, industry. Um, So, different um, research institutes collecting, for example, cancer information, cancer images. Um, They are sharing their knowledge uh, with federated learning. And the idea here is, uh, together with the Barcelona Superconnecting Computer Institute, um, we have a a program where federated learning is used to improve the cancer... um, um, treatment or to increase decrease the cancer treatment because what you are doing here is you are making an image of the certain um, a breast cancer of the breast and then check if there is um, cancer or not and then you see if it is likely to have a malignant cancer or not and if yes um, then you get further treatment and all these information or these decisions are also based on AI system as you may know and in order to improve these kind of pre um, go through these uh, data. We are using federated learning and using the information as well from other institutes to collect information about um, images of breast cancer and to have really a reduced um, reduced treatment on, on people um, who could have possibly um, cancer. This is a very great um, research topic. But we also have other um, great research topics, for example, and and, and predictive maintenance of machines, which is a very different topic. Um, You can also imagine that um, in the industry you are having big machines producing um, devices or whatever, and uh, they are having failures, for example. And um, this kind of um, research is like anomaly detection. So you have very rare cases where some failure happens. Um, but of course, you want to predict these kind of failures in order to increase um, the number of possible events. You could also connect different um, machines to each other with federated learning so that every machine lear- learns from each other. And this anomaly detection um, becomes better and better. Um, so the, the production time of, of the industry is becomes better and better in the future
0: okay okay i could i could actually understand the importance of federated learning in this in this in the from these particular use cases actually so uh over to a couple of other aspects in the federated learning uh space so like talking about the architecture so what are the prominent architectures available in the space and like how it is being kind of implemented actually
1: so the we have the, the classical way, more or less, like um, the way that we have like different smartphones, like clients who are connected to one server, let's say, and every smartphone sends their um, um, AI model, their updated AI model. But of course, you could also imagine like other um, clusters, let's say. Um, we can also imagine, for example, um, if you're a car. Then you have like, you're sending your data to Audi or to Tesla. And uh, so this is your cluster. So Audi would have a cluster and Tesla would have a cluster uh, where all the clients are um, their um, network uh, participants. And at the end, um, you could also combine, uh, for example, um, Tesla together with Audi and their information. So there you are proving your um, autonomous driving of each car um but also um from each company so this is some some difference that you have and um yeah it always depends on your use case that you have um how you want to set up your federated learning architecture and it can become quite complex um in the infrastructure at the end um but we always um help you to, to solve this issue and to to tell you what is the best infrastructure and what is the best um um use case um in your sense
0: okay okay so to understand a bit more about the implementation aspect actually so what are the uh like let's let's say like uh like how how well the federated learning is actually fitting into the supervised and unsupervised learning task actually
1: yeah so in the supervised learning task it is working quite good um the idea of, of creating Flower was that you already have um, your centralized AI model because, I mean, many projects using AI, they have put a lot of effort in their AI training. So with Flower, our idea was to to put um, a federated learning uh, workload on top. Yeah, So you do not need to change something on your centralized system. You only need to add Flower that you can run it federated. So this is more or less um, the idea behind and so it's quite easy to implement even uh, federated learning, even though you only have a centralized learning. And um of course you can then imagine that in, in the sense of supervised learning, it is working quite well. In the sense of unsupervised learning, the research is at the very beginning. And I think we still need to wait um how well this is going and um in which direction we can use it and uh, what are the results at the end.
0: Okay, okay, got it so over to the last point like on the challenges so like what are the typical challenges uh, as you said like anyway this is in a very starting phase so the starting phase itself you you would have actually spotted like so many biggest challenges in this space so if you could elaborate on the challenges which you're observing in this uh, particular implementation side
1: yeah so um what is quite uh, challenging is uh, for every data scientist is more or less the the data um how you can make the data ready for AI systems um this is even for federated learning the same case you always need an AI training and therefore you need to standardize your data or your information and to make it processable um in in addition more or less you need like A model that works for everyone for every client which is which can also be like an an issue you could imagine that one client has two features more than the others and then you have to think about okay the the point is you you share the ai parameters um, in the federated learning and in the simple setup you're just simply averaging the um, corresponding parameters so you need in every client you always need the same um, model structure and architecture. If you have different features on the client, you have to think a way about think about a way how you can combine these two models together. And this is quite an, an um, I mean, this can be a big challenge, but of course uh, it depends also on, on the question always, or you always have to ask yourself the question, what do you want to learn and what are the impo- important information that you need and um, So, therefore, you can set up the certain AI structure, uh, model structure on on the clients. And, um, of course, also a big topic is how the data is distributed. Um, If we think about MNIST, for example, you could imagine uh, you put on one client, you put only the, the number one and two, and on other clients, you have the number three and four. And, of course, in these kind of systems, the federated learning setup um it's quite challenging i mean you need longer time for reaching a certain accuracy and it, it isn't that good as a centralized learning setup so it is always good to to have very good distributed data that in every client you have very similar data in the settings and also in the in the classes what kind of classes you have um, but you always you also have like strategies that overcome um this kind of challenges as well for example um, we have like a Fed, uh, FedPN uh, strategy batch normalization um that addresses directly um feature um uh, drift for example and where you can also reach a good accuracy even though you are having completely different data on different clients but these are things you have to take care um but I think in the normal way if you think about cars the data is equally distributed over the clients and uh you do not have that much issue concerning um this topic yeah and um, of course another issue is always um how you uh, what kind of devices you have because um, imagine you always need an API to to run or to connect to to a smartphone or whatever so our idea with flower was also that you can easily create a new api for your client we also provide um, android clients that you can run it um, on android phones Um, but it's also of course an issue with other frameworks for example that you need to connect your device to the federated learning framework um, in order to make it run and this can be dependent on the framework you're using it can be quite difficult um, but I think with Flower, we made a very good approach to make it more user-friendly for everyone.
0: So, yeah, so that, that covers all my questions for today, Miss Maria. And uh, thank you so much for giving such a good information about this particular topic. And I I, I think, like, for most of uh, my audience, this would be a pretty new thing, actually. And uh, it's, it's a new thing for me as well. So, like, I, I was actually trying out, uh, to understand how the flower is actually operating so i could see it's completely open source which is a great thing so like so like one last point to actually make so what are what is the kind of future prospects for this flower platform and how you actually foresee the developments for it
1: um, yeah so we have many many ideas so um for flower. so first of all we want to be more international visible um we want to have um, a very com- being compatible to different um clients that we already are but already providing um a more like a standalone approach to how you can connect your device to, to flower and to federated learning to make it easy um if you try flower you can see that especially um we have a, a 20 line of code example where you can use tensorflow together with uh, federated learning with flower So it's very user friendly and easy to use. And this is the approach as well, um, if you want to use like other clients, and this is our idea to make it as easy as possible for you. Um, We also have some other ideas um, that we will show to the world. I think we have um, end of May, 31st of um, May, we have our flower summit, where we can show you the first um, approach, how we want to proceed in the future. And everyone is uh, invited to to follow the summit, we have it uh, every year, also last year it was a big success and where we we present there um, what will happen in the closer future or in the nearest future and a little bit more far away, so um, yeah, you should follow us, of course.